Well, this morning we're going to go ahead and continue our series in the book of Ephesians. We're looking at Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. And I've entitled it, You Have Been Saved. Because in this chapter, that's what the focus is from Paul, is that we have been saved, we've been made brand new. But he also spends a little bit of time wanting us to remember where we came from. And that's kind of a dangerous thing to do to remember where you came from. We have to look at this in a godly way. and not a, We don't want to think about the, the, the good times. We don't want to think about all those things. But we want to remember that we were once broken, that we were once lost, that we were once just like the people that are walking around this world right now. There was a time that we were separated from Christ. But this is the Gospel, that even though at one time you're separated, that you can be drawn near to Him again, that you can be made whole. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard it before, but there are those who would only preach fire and brimstone. There are those who will preach nothing but, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, and that's all they preach. And there's no hope in that. And that's why Paul wants you to remember, hey, remember where you came from, because once you were just like them with no hope, you were lost. A couple nights ago, I was watching a, a video on Facebook, and it was this uh, very similar to what I've experienced here in, in Arizona on the mall at the U of A, but it was a college back east somewhere, I think, and, and there's this man standing on the mall there, and he's just yelling out to people, you guys are fornicators, you're sinners, you're going to hell, and all fire and brimstone. And an interesting thing happened as a young pastor walks up to him. He's got a crowd around him. It's actually, there's a police officer there, so apparently people are getting upset with this guy. But this young pastor walks up and he starts talking to the police officer and then he walks up to him and he, and he asks him and he says, you know, I think you got it wrong. Where does it say in the Bible that all these people are going to hell? Where does it say that? That they're condemned to hell? And he brings up stuff in, in Galatians that talks about fornicators and adulteries. And, you know, that's for the, they're not for the kingdom of heaven. And that's true. But he says, you know what? You got it wrong. You're completely preaching death to these people. Basically, you've condemned every single person here. But the gospel says that we're supposed to preach hope. We're supposed to let people know that, yes, they may be that way, but there is hope. They don't have to stay that way. And the truth is that we should be preaching the same way. Not condemning people, but letting people know that there's a God who loves them. And He doesn't want them to stay the way that they are. When I used to go to the University of Arizona, there was a man out there that did the same thing. And he used to drive me crazy. Because it would break my heart at the preaching he was doing. Because he wasn't drawing people near to God. He was pushing them away. You see, he had forgotten where he came from. He had forgotten that he was once just like all of them. You know, there's not a single person of us that is born a Christian, that is born, born again. That's why it's called being born again. It has to happen one more time. You have to be born into the kingdom of heaven. The fact is, it's true that we were once broken. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, it's true that you're still broken. It's true that you're, you were a sinner. But the good news of the gospel is there's hope. We don't have to stay broken. We don't have to stay sinners. But we can be made brand new. So let's go ahead and get started in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body in the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
So the first thing we have to remember when we're looking at scriptures like this, because this, this is throwing out some stuff that's kind of a little disheartening. You know, it's, I mean, following the prince of the power of the air. We lived in passions of the flesh. But he always starts it off with, you were. That's why I've entitled this slide, you were dead. If you were in Christ, this is a past tense thing. This is something that has been, but is no longer the case anymore. You were dead. You once walked. These are all words to use when we describe something that we've done before, but it's not the case right this second. But now, I want you to know that there was a time that, that we were once dead. But now we're dead to sin. We're not dead in our sin, but we're dead to sin. But we're alive in Christ. In Romans chapter 6, verse 11, it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ in Jesus Christ. We are dead to sin now. You know, once we walked in our sin, once we were dead in our trespasses, but now we are alive to God and dead to sin. Sin has no power over us anymore. Being dead in sin is the course of this world. And without Jesus, without being apart from this world, then that is our course. That's the course of every person who walks in this world. It says it's following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, which is just another fancy word for the devil, for Satan. The Jews at those times would consider everything that was under the heavens Everything that was under the, the authority of God or, or under the authority of the higher angels was the air. So the prince of the power of the air is just simply referring to Satan. And that's the course of this world. And it's the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The sons of disobedience are all those who are not sons of God. The sons of the God of this world who is the devil. But I want you to know that in Jesus, you're not of this world. It's also why Christians are persecuted in this world. It's because we don't fit in. We're not the same as the rest of the people. In John 15, 19, it says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. We're not following the course of the world as Christians. Following the prince of the power of the air. We don't fit in. We're not like the rest because we have something else. We have something better. The truth is that it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This was all of us before Jesus. This was who you were, and it's who you are if you don't know Jesus. This is why we have to be so careful when we present the gospel. Because it's easy to become judgmental and start casting stones at people. Just like the, the guy I was just talking about preaching fire and brimstone, telling people how bad they were and they were going to hell, he forgot who he was. He forgot that he was once living in the passions of the flesh. He was once carrying out the desires of the body. That was him at one time. We need to remember that that was once us and have compassion on people. When we see people hurting, when we see people walking lost, when we see people broken, we shouldn't point out their flaws and condemn them, but we should have compassion for them and see them with the eyes of God and recognize that God wants them to be restored, not to be torn down by our words. Our hearts should hurt for people who are lost. And we should never stick our nose up at people that are struggling, that are having a hard time. It's just silly to expect us to act, expect people to act like Christians when they're not saved. 
And this is why we should never act like that. Is because before you get saved, living in the world and living like the world is your is your nature. You know, people in this world aren't unrighteous because of the things that they do. They're not sinners because they commit sin. That's an identity, that's a nature. They do unrighteous things because at their very nature they are unrighteous. They commit sin because their nature is that they're sinners. And there's a difference. They sin without thought because it's who they are. It's their nature. It's the same way when we have a new nature placed inside of us. Even though a Christian may sin, he is no longer a sinner because being a sinner is an identity. It's a nature. And we have a new identity placed inside of us when we get saved. In God, we have a new nature. And we have overcome the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. Where he once had power and control over you and influence over you, you are now an overcomer. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I mean, that's good news. That you have that kind of power inside of you. That you no longer are under the influence of of the devil, the spirit that is at work in the sense of disobedience because we have overcome him. We have power against him. We have authority over him and he has no rights in our life anymore. And then Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, it says, but God. Pastor Mike used to always say, you have to have your butts in the right places. If you don't have your butt in the right place, you're going to have some problems. I'm always thankful for the butts in the Bible because, man, you read this and it's like you start looking at who you were and you get disheartened. But every time you read something like this, it follows up with, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Do you guys understand the, the, the vastness of the love that God feels towards you? I'm always amazed that no matter what I do, no matter my failings, no matter my shortcomings, His love is never dimmed. It says He's rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ because by grace you have been saved. You see, God is rich in mercy. And what that means is that Mercy is not getting what we deserve. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die for our sins. Because God is a pure and righteous God and sin is, a, is an evil thing and we deserve to die for them. But Christ died in our place so that we wouldn't have to because God is rich in mercy. He did not give us what we deserved. And it's because of that great love that he has towards us. He doesn't want us to perish. He doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want us to be dead. And everything that God does towards us is the result of love. Because his love for us is unimaginable and it's without equal to anything we've ever experienced in our life. I think sometimes we, we, we don't understand the love that God has for us because we try to describe it by the experiences that we've had in our lives. When we've had a father that's been, that's been harsh on us, that doesn't love us the way that a father should, we automatically assume that God is going to love us in the same way. But that's just not true. God is not limited by our experience and our view of love. You see, there's many reasons that God saves us. It brings glory to Himself when He saves us. 
It appeases his justice because the truth is justice has to be served. The payment has to be paid. And he also demonstrates his sovereignty to us. But one of the sweetest reasons, one of the greatest reasons that God saves you is because he's fond of you. He likes having you around. One of the guys I was, I was reading some of the stuff that he wrote, he says, if, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. He loves you. Whenever you talk to him, he'll listen. He doesn't push you away. He always has time for you. The truth is that God is crazy about you. And the greatest thing is that even while we were dead in our trespasses, before we were ever made right with God, while we were dead, it says that he made us alive together with him because of the great love he had for us. You see, God sent his son to pay the price to die for us just as we were. And one of the greatest lies of the enemy is for him to tell you, you know what, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. How could God love you? Don't you know the things that you've done? Anybody ever felt that accusations coming towards you? I know I have. How could God love you for the things that you've done? You see, one of the greatest mistakes we can make is to think that we have to get right with God before we can go to God. Because the truth is, there's nothing that you can do to get right with God. We are powerless to meet those standards. But thanks be to God that He sent His Son because of His great love for us that we, He would make us whole, that we could approach Him. You see, the enemy wants you to think that you'll never be good enough, that you'll always be dirty. But God wants you to come to Him as you are. And He will make you clean. I was just watching a story of a, of a guy in India and it looked like he, he ran some sort of huge mega restaurant for a big hotel change, a chain. And he was, he was going around and, and he was noticing the people of, in the slums that were living and they had no home and they were hungry and they were dirty and they were filthy. And he was noticing these people and he's like, you know what? My skills are to be a great cook. That's what I do. I cook for all these restaurants. So he quit his job to start providing for these, for these men and women that are homeless and had nothing. And every day he gets up and he cooks in these huge industrial-sized pots and he goes down to, the, to this area of town where all these people live and, and he feeds them. And, he, and not only that, but he goes down there and, and he, he shows them love as well. He says, you know what? With my food I can feed them, but I can feed them uh, naturally do for their nourishment. He says, that's physical nourishment. He says, but I also show them love, which is spiritual nourishment for them. And he goes down there, and, and you see these people that he's taking care of, and he actually he feeds them, he bathes them, he gives them a shave. And I'm watching him do this, and it's really impressive to see this guy's heart, and he's going down there. And, and I have to admit, there's a part of me that, uh, much to my uh, uh, shame, but there's a part of me that was kind of grossed out by I mean he's I mean he's out there he's he's loving on him he's giving him hugs and he's he's shaving him and I'm I'm thinking to myself man that's a that's an incredibly humble man and I like I said there was part of me that was there was that was kind of grossed out for that you see I think this is why we have trouble coming to God because we think that he thinks like we do we think that he's going to see us and we're a little unclean and unshaven and we're dirty and hungry 
and he's going to be a little grossed out by us. But the truth is, thank God, but he's, a, he's got a much, much better character than I do. God's not grossed out by you. He's not put off by you. He loves you and wants you to come to Him. But see, that when you come to God, unlike this man, this man had a great heart. He was feeding these people. He was taking care of He was showing them love. He was making a difference in their life. But at the end of the day, when he went home, other than they were a little bit cleaner and had a good meal, they were still the same people they were when he showed up. They were still homeless. They were still hungry. They were still dirty. But when you come to God, He doesn't leave you the way He found you. He makes you alive together with His Son and He makes you clean. You come to God dirty and He makes you clean from the inside. He makes you pure. He makes you whole. He makes you healthy. He doesn't leave you the way that He found you. Stephen Curtis Chapman said this, In the Gospel, we discover that we are far worse off than we thought, but we are far more loved than we ever dreamed. And as Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6-7, through 7, it says, And He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. But you know that when you are born again, you get placed at a position of honor with Jesus. It says right here that we are raised up with Him and seated with Him in heavenly places. You see, for a little while, we are still in this world, but we are definitely not part of it. We are seated with heavenly places in Christ. We are a member of the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why this is possible is it's in the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. You see, salvation is completely by grace. you realize that salvation is not by mercy? I, was, I had a, a much clearer revelation of this as I was studying this over this week and getting ready for today, but I, I recognized that salvation is completely by grace. Now, God does give us mercy, but because God's mercy is not the reason you're saved. Matter of fact, if all God did was forgive you, you would still be condemned. You see, His mercy is, is why we're not going to be called to account for our sin. But you can be forgiven and not be saved. Actually, that was a problem that the, the people had before, before Jesus when it was just the law. All the law did was, was cover your sins. It, it took care of the, the few that you had and they were constantly sacrificing. They were constantly doing these things to have their sins forgiven for that short time. But they were never saved. They were never made brand new. You see, the problem is that forgiveness does not change anything inside of you. And a way to describe this, let's think about a, a person that owes you money. A person, you guys ever known people that are always trying to borrow money from you? Think of that person, and he's borrowing, he wants to borrow money from you all the time. And he now owes you a lot of money. But it's his character to be a borrower. It's his character to never repay the money that he's borrowed. This is who he is. He's constantly bar taking advantage of people, borrowing for people. 
and he never wants to pay it back. So you say, you know what? I want to go ahead and forgive you of your debt. And you forgive that person of their debt. The good news is they no longer have a debt, right? They no longer owe you the money. But nothing else has changed for that person. They're still the type of person that's going to continue borrowing and continue owing people money. Nothing has changed inside of them. You've forgiven them of their debt, but they're going to continue to go out and accrue more and more debt. See, that's the problem with, with people before Jesus is that they were forgiven, they, they sacrificed, and they were forgiven, but then they continued to accrue more and more debt for the next time, and then they had to sacrifice again to be forgiven for those, and then they gained more sin, and then they had to, because they weren't changed on the inside. Just like this person, if you forgive them of the debt that they owe you, they're still going to go out and do the same things over and over and over again. But that's where the riches of His grace come in. You see, grace has been described as God giving you something that you don't deserve. And what He's given us is a brand new life. He's fundamentally changed you on the inside. When you were born again, a miracle takes place inside of you and you are no longer the same person that you used to be, accruing debt on a regular basis. Your nature has been changed. You're no longer a slave to sin. When you're a slave to something, it dictates everything that you do. When you're a slave to sin, sin dictated everything that you do because it was your nature to be a sinner. But when you're a slave to righteousness, that means righteousness dictates everything that you do. It's true that we could be forgiven for our sins all day long. But if something inside of you doesn't change, then you're still lost. You're still broken. You're still sinners. But God. God changes that inside of you. It's His grace that saves us. And it's by His grace that we're given a new nature. That fundamental brokenness that we have just for being born as it's passed down from Adam is repaired. We are whole and we are made pure again. His immeasurable riches puts us alongside Jesus. We've been made to look like Him, to have His qualities, and that's amazing. You see, when you're born again, you're made to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus. You're actually one of the firstborn of, of many brethren. In Romans 8.29 it says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn born among many brethren. When you get born again, you look like Jesus. You have that spirit placed inside of you. And I think for most of us, if we just realize that, that old person would stop rearing its head so much. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, grace is amazing as it's God's free gift to us. God doesn't have any strings. He's not saying that I will give you this brand new life if you do this, this, and this. All He asks you to do is receive it through faith. To trust in Him, to believe that His Son came and died for you to take care of your sins, but also to give you a new nature, to be born again, to be brand new. You take hold of it by faith. And salvation is not of anything that you do. 
You can't be good enough to get saved. You can't do enough of the right things to ever be saved. Because if we could, we wouldn't need God's gift. If we could be good enough, we would have something to boast about. But no one's ever lived a sinless life except for Jesus. And then it says that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He has accomplished something amazing inside of us. If you take a step back and you look at it, and you look at who you used to be, if you think about where you've come from, it blows me away when I look at what God has accomplished inside of me, where I am today compared to where I was 10 years ago, even five years ago. He's been working inside of me, molding me and shaping me. He's restored us to the position that we held before the fall. You see, before the fall, man had no sin. He had no past. Adam didn't have a past. Adam didn't ever have to think about all the terrible things he did in his life because he was created a grown man with no past. And the moment that you're born again, you are in that same position. You're a person that has no past. It's been wiped clean. The slate has been wiped. But it's His work in us that allows us to be free, to be pure, to be holy, to be confident, confident, and to demonstrate His power at work inside of us. And we're created for a reason as well. We're created for good works. You know, the truth is that works doesn't save you. That's what James was talking about in, in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking any daily, in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go, in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, God created in Jesus Christ four good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created you for good works. And it's true that works doesn't save you, but like I said, this is what James was talking about. That, yeah, works doesn't save you, but we should notice a difference in you when you get saved. We should see something happening inside of you. Like I said before, the things that we do is based on who we are. It's our nature inside of us. And if you have the nature of a sinner, it's only natural that you would do sinful things. But when you have the nature of Jesus Christ inside of you, it's natural that you would perform good works that are in keeping with the works that Jesus Christ did. That you would love people, that you would care for people, that you would walk without sin, that you would live a holy life. But God prepared beforehand works that we should walk. Did you guys know that God has a plan for your life? There is stuff that God wants you to do. He has works planned beforehand for you to accomplish. Even before you came to know Him, even before you ever met Jesus, He had a plan for your life. And that blows me away. Like we read last week, that He has known us from before the foundation of the world. We have always been on His mind. Absolutely blows me away that someone cares about me that much, that loves me that much. And then in Ephesians 2.11-12, 
Paul says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, what is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So reading through this, we, we start talking about circumcision. And if you guys recall, circumcision was a representation of the covenant between God and the people of Israel. But there was a problem. Because that covenant was just for the, the people of Israel, the, Jew, the Gentiles were left out. Here it says that they were separated from Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and they were strangers to the covenant of promise and they had no hope and they were without God in this world because they weren't able to partake in that covenant. And the truth is that circumcision is still used as the imagery to represent the covenant between us and God. But now that circumcision is referred to as a circumcision of the heart. And it's not based on your nationality, but it's open to all people. In Romans 2, 28-29, it says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is the matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. It's a matter of the heart. When you have that, that heart of stone removed and replaced with a heart of flesh, that's a circumcision of the heart. You're given a brand new life inside of you. And it's so easy as Christians for us to become jaded. As time passes, we forget what's actually been accomplished in our lives. And that's what he's telling him here. Remember what's been accomplished in your life. Remember where you came from. Remember what God has actually done in your life. Because it's so easy for us. We forget that we were not we were at one time not God's people. We forget that at one time that we were an enemy of God. In Romans 5.10 it says, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. We were an enemy to God before we got saved. In Colossians 1.21 it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind. You see, we forget that there was once a time that we were lost, that we had no hope. And we were walking lost in this dark world, looking for something. I think that's why it's so easy for us to become judgmental of others because somehow, because we've forgotten where we came from, we tend to think that I've always lived this way. I've always been this way. We look at people that are struggling and having a hard time and we're like, I can do it. What's their problem? I'm living all right. But we forget where we came from. In Ephesians 2.13, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Once again, we hear that phrase, but now, but God. There's always a but in the right place when we hear these things. We were once far off. Remember that, but I want you to know now you've been brought near. See, the previous verse again, once again, paints a grim picture of a time where we we were without God. We were completely separated. But then again, we find out that in in Christ, a way has been paved. That we're not stuck the way we were. In Christ, we've been brought near. And God's work in Jesus brings us close to Him. 
He came to us and then He pulls us close. As soon as man fell in the Garden of Eden, God began pursuing us. You know, that's the, the, the main difference between Christianity and every other religion. Is that in every other religion, it's all about what you can do to become right. What you can do to make yourself good enough so that you can go to your God. But in Christianity, ever since day one, ever since man first fell, it's always been about God coming to us. We find it right in the beginning of the Bible, in, in Genesis chapter 3, 8-9, through nine, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord, and this was right after they had eaten the apple. And it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? From the first day of the fall, God has been calling out to us, Where are you? Looking for us. And then we see it again in Revelations in chapter 3.20. God says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. He's coming to our door to knock. We don't have to search for God. He's not far from us. He's not hiding from us. But he comes to us. When people think ask me, how do you know Christianity is the real deal? There's so many other religions. There's so many other things. How do you know yours is the real deal? It's the only one that can work. Because I think that anybody, if anybody sat back and, and gave their lives an honest look, they would recognize that there's nothing that they could do to repair what's been done. There's nothing that we could do to become good enough. I mean, even when I tried, before I got saved, I would try to live good and I just couldn't do it. I was always failing. But then I found Jesus. And that's when He made a change inside of me. And I was finally living the way I wanted to live. And the only reason is because the nature inside of me had been changed. Something had happened. A miracle had taken place because when I tried to do it myself, it just was not happening. How do I know this is right? Because it's the only one where God comes to you and does what has to be done to make you right. Because we can't do it ourselves. And then in Ephesians 2, 14-16 it says, For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. When you read this, it helps to remember that Paul was a Jew. And he, right now he's writing a letter to the, the Ephesians who are Gentiles. And when he's talking about he has made us both and in, in one man in place of the two, he's referring to Jews and the Gentiles, Jews and everybody else. And we find that Christ is our peace. Christ was, the, was what came to make peace and reconcile the differences between these two people groups. He has brought peace and He has brought unity. Instead of being, at one time there was Jews and there was Gentiles, but now there is just a people of God, the children of God. There's only one people now. And there was a time when there was hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. They considered them lesser because they weren't part of the covenant of God, because they weren't Jews. As a matter of fact, I was reading that there was Pharisees that used to pray stuff like, thank God that I am a Jew and not a Gentile. They would pray those kind of things. 
because they thought so low of the Gentiles. But by abolishing the law which was given to the Jews, Jesus created one people out of two. In 1 Peter 2.10, it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And Jesus came to unite all of God's children into to, to one people. And the idea is that because we're now the same, because we're not separate, because the promises are available to each and every one of us, then we're the same. We have unity and we should have peace. But there was always hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. You remember when, when Paul was, was going to the temple on his way back to Rome, he was going into the temple, and they thought that he brought a Greek into the temple? And they almost killed him for that. I mean, the hostility that was displayed towards the Gentiles and anybody who was supporting the Gentiles was incredible. Matter of fact, at that point, they, they thought he didn't even do it. They just thought he did. They thought he brought a Greek into the temple. And the Roman soldiers had to come in and save Paul. Otherwise, they would have killed him. But now Jews and Gentiles are the same. He abolished the law of the commandments, expressing ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Instead of two people groups, Jews and Gentiles, there's just one children of God, one people of God. And he, and he might reconcile us both to God. Not only do we have to be reconciled to one another, but we have to be reconciled to God. And he did that both of those things through Jesus, Jesus Christ, therefore killing the hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Or at least the Jews that believe this happened. You see, we're now equal. We, we are all sinners the same way, and now we are all been made brand new through the same faith in Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, 17 through 18, it says, And he came and preached peace to you who were off, or far off, and peace to those who were near. Once again, referring to Jews and Gentiles. Those who were far off were the Gentiles. They were, they were far away from God. And peace to those who were near who were the Jews. It says, for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. You know, I'm so thankful that, that God came back and included us all. Can you imagine still living, just having no hope, and there's nothing that you could ever do to obtain it? But Jesus came and he began to pre preach peace to reconcile Jews and Gentiles alike. And this reconciliation is for us all. In Acts 2.39 it says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. And this message has been preached to all, to Jews and Gentiles alike. But you know, it was, it was one thing to learn a Gentile did not have to become a Jew to get saved. You know, that was already tough for the Jewish people to, to uh, deal with. But it was quite another to find out for the Jew to admit that he was just as lost as the Gentile without Jesus. That was a struggle for them at that time. In Romans 3, 24 it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. 
You see, Jews and Gentiles now have a common bond. We have, both have access through the Father, through the same Spirit. We were once alike, unalike, but now we are the same. And then Ephesians 2, 19-21, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We're no longer strangers to God. We're no longer aliens. We're no longer foreign to Him. We are now been made a member of the household of God. We are fellow heirs with Christ. And we're fellow heirs with all of those who believe, no matter what their background. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, a Jew or Gentile, male or female. It doesn't matter if you've done the worst things imaginable or if you've, lived a, you've been pretty much a good person. We're all on equal footing with God. We are members of the church of Jesus Christ. We're the bride of Christ and we are His body. And then he says that it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And also, Jesus Christ Himself being the cornerstone. He's talking about His church. We have all been taken separate people and placed into a single church, a single body under Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16, 18, it says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you remember, the rock that he's talking about was the question that was asked of Peter. He said, Peter, who do you say I am? He says, I believe that you're the Son of God. You're the Savior. And he says, on that rock, on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that He is the Son of God, that He came down and died for your sins and made you brand new, on that rock is what the church is built on. Where Jesus Christ Himself is the cornerstone. And it says that we are being joined together and grown into a holy temple in the Lord. We are being grown together. Different people with different backgrounds, different skills, different things. But we are being fitted together into one body to become the hands and feet of Jesus. Even the individual churches that we all attend, like this one and others, we may be individual churches, but we are all part of one church the church of Jesus Christ. We are His body and we are brothers and sisters, all of us, in the family of God. And then Ephesians 2.22 says that in Him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. It's amazing to me that God dwells inside of me. One, because I can think back of who I was. But the truth is, it's all the more proof to me that I've been made brand new because in God there is no darkness. God is only light. Matter of fact, if, if anything that is evil, if anything that is impure, if anything that is broken gets near to God, it's destroyed because God is pure and He cannot be involved or around those things. But He lives inside of me. That must mean something has changed. That must mean that I'm a different person. That must mean that I've been made pure and holy because otherwise I would just die. You see, if you look in the book of Genesis, we find that God walked with His people. God walked side by side with Adam and Eve in the garden. He was with them side by side, talking to them. They saw them. He was with them every day. 
But then the fall came. And their spirit was broken. They became unpure and unclean, not because of actions they did, but because they were broken fundamentally on the inside. Their spirit had died. And then after that, after the fall, we find that then in the book of Exodus, we find that, that God dwelled in their tabernacle. And not everybody had access to him anymore. Matter of fact, only Moses could go into the tabernacle and speak to God. And then after that, we find that God dwelt in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And at that point, only the high priest could go in there and come in contact with God once a year. And the guidelines that he had to follow were so strict that if he messed up and was, not, was unpure in any way, he would die. Matter of fact, they tied a rope around his waist just in case he died so somebody didn't have to go in there after him. They could just drag him out. But now he dwells in us. Once again, he dwells with his people. We find that he dwells in the church as a whole. Right here we find out as the church as a whole, we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. But he also dwells in each of us individually. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, or whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. God is with us once again. You know, the story is amazing. It was a God who walked with us, and then a God who had to separate Himself from us. Because if anybody came too close to Him, they would just be burned up. They would just die because we couldn't exist together. It's like oil and water at the time. He was somewhat separated from us, but now He was back with us again. So I want us to think about a couple things as we close the service right now, as we, as we reflect back on what we just read from Paul, what he's teaching us, is that, one, we just need to remember that, remember what God did for us. You'll never be effective. You'll, never, you'll just become a draided, cranky, hypocritical old Christian if you forget where you came from, if you forget what God has accomplished inside of you. And when I say remember where you came from, I don't remember, I don't want you to to focus on your failings and how bad you were. Just remember that where you are now compared to where you were before. And let us remember where we came from when we view others to make sure that we see others as God saw us. To make sure we see others as God sees them. And to give them the same opportunity When we look at the world around us, they may be broken, they may be a separate people, but God still loves them. God still wants them to be a part of His church. God wants to fix them, to make them pure. They're broken, but they're still worthy. Because worth is determined by the price that is paid for something. And God paid the life of His Son for all of those that we see around us. Let's keep those things in mind when we're we're looking at others. Amen? Amen. All right, let's go ahead and stand to our feet.